Do you know why Jesus can hold you fast no matter what? Because he made a promise to himself. And there are places in the Bible where he tells, for instance, the Israelites, you're only here and not destroyed because I promised myself I wouldn't do it. And it's a good thing or you'd be gone. And there have been many days in my life I thought, I'm really glad that promise is in place. I don't know about you. Anyway, if you're visiting today, I'm not Toby Johnson. My name is John Tierney. I'm one of the elders here at Gray Road. And we are continuing a study through the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bible, take the book, uh, go to the book of Daniel. We'll be looking at chapter 3. And in the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 739. Chapter 3 seems to be telling the story of three young Jewish men. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you probably remember them as Rakshak and Benny. Um, <laughs> it was in our house a long time ago. But anyway, they find themselves in a very, very bad position with the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. If you grew up in church, you're probably familiar with the story. And you know what happens in the fiery furnace. They escape by the hand of God. If you didn't grow up in church, I just gave away the ending, but that's okay. As far as our message today, folks, some people like to put a title on a message. And so without a doubt, the most appropriate title for the sermon today is I Am God and There Is No Other. That is actually from Isaiah 45. But it's the truth of this message today. It's the truth of chapter 3. It is emphatic and it is wonderful. The main idea of the chapter, again, if you like to have a main idea, in my mind without question, it's one of my favorite things in the Bible, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And if you look at Ezekiel especially in the Old Testament, God says repeatedly and emphatically, you will know that I am the Lord. And in this, it's, a, it's wonderful. I can't wait to get into this because you'll see God do that in this chapter. So, again, um, very strongly, subtly, but when you see it, I hope it blesses you. Now, before we get into the actual message, I wanted to let you know that I have a number of things I've been praying for, for this, and I, I wanted to share those with you. And you don't have to write these down or anything, but I, I wanted you to know. And if you would be inclined to pray for these things as I am preaching, then that would be great too. So the things that have been on my heart, I, I kind of said it earlier, but that at Gray Road Baptist Church this morning, through everything that we do today, that God would be pleased with this offering of praise that we are presenting to him, that he would be glorified, again, through what we all do. The, the next thing's... And it's been on my heart, like you can't believe, for, for us, that you would know, oh man, I pray this, that you would know God better when you walk out of here today than you did when you walked in. And that he would get glory from that. That you would know how awesome our God is because he is an awesome God. And I can tell you that, but if God's Holy Spirit doesn't convict you, it just kind of falls on deaf ears. So that is a prayer to God. I would pray that we would all know what an honor and a privilege it is to be children of God, to be in the household of God. And I would pray, and please pray with me, that there's anybody here or within the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would today. Would you please pray that with me to this morning as we go on? Let's just pray before we get started. And Father, I just said everything that was on my heart that you already knew. 
The fact that you hold us fast, as sinful as we are, the fact that your son died on a cross for us is beyond what we can imagine. Help us all to glorify you. And not just here this morning, but in everything that we do. All our lives, all for you. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so chapter 3, if you turn to verse 1, I'm just going to kind of work my way through this. Verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. I'll stop here. I won't stop at every verse, I promise, but I want to stop here for a second, explain a couple things as we move forward. First of all, if you don't have your cubits calculator app plugged into your phone, um, 60 cubits is about 90 feet. And, and so six cubits is nine feet. Ninety feet tall is about an eight-story building, and nine feet wide is, I don't know, big, bigger than that. Um, so that's, you get an idea, it's kind of like an obelisk. There's nothing that says what this image was. Maybe in your Bible have a picture of like what somebody might imagine King Nebuchadnezzar looks like. We don't know, it's just not in there. But anyway, there's this image that's very tall. And it really doesn't matter, to be honest with you. The second thing, as we move forward, I want to introduce you to a term. And that term is verbal plenary inspiration. Rolls off your tongue. It matters. For this morning, it's going to matter. The Bible is God's word to humanity. It was obviously written by human authors, but God prompted those authors and guided them to write what they did. That's verbal plenary inspiration. It means every word, every word form, every word placement found in the Bible's original manuscripts was divinely and intentionally written, in essence, by God. This is verbal plenary inspiration. And you're thinking, why are we going through this? You'll see in just a minute. I want to break it down quickly. Verbal in this instance means that every word in Scripture is God-breathed. Every single word, not just the ideas behind those words. Every single word matters. Every single word that's not in the Bible will say matters. And, and the reason I say that, if you're familiar with the, the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning is, was the Word and the word was with God, and the word was God. When you have a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door, they're carrying a Bible, and it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was, the word was with God, and the word was a God. No, it's not. Jesus is not a God. One little letter launched a cult. They are a cult. Now, don't slam the door in their face. They need the gospel. But just know, why do we hold tight here to hold fast, we'll say, to verbal plenary inspiration? That's why. Every single word matters. Inspiration. In this sense, it means God breathed as well. And it refers to the fact that God, again, guided the authors of the Bible to write exactly what he wanted to communicate. So everything that's in Scripture is in Scripture because that's what God wanted to say to us. Another maybe simpler way to describe verbal plenary inspiration is all Scripture. Every single word is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's from 2 Timothy 3.16. A lot of people have that memorized. If you don't, 2 Timothy 3.16. Look it up. All right, so keep that in mind, verbal plenary inspiration, especially this morning, especially in the next few verses. 
Because if you don't, you can very easily get off on, on the wrong track and stay there. God put these words here that we're going to look at. So again, think about, ask yourself this. Okay, God said this. Why? Why did God word things exactly this way? And what's he trying to tell me? Keep that in your mind whenever you study the Bible. And with all that in mind, look at verse 2. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar, after he set up this golden image, he sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces. Why? To come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Remember, verbal plenary inspiration. Verse 3. Then... The satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces, this sounds familiar, gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Obviously, you see redundancies there. Be wise about this. Why are they there? What does God want us to understand? When, again, when you read scripture and you don't understand something, find out. Ask the question, what does this mean? It's much more important to know why God said what he, than said what he did than to get through your three-chapter you know, Bible reading plan, which is important, but see what God wants to say. Anyway, I love digressing. So getting back to our text and to all these people, these people he mentions were, were basically government officials. Some estimates say there were thousands of these guys. And they all show up, and they're all standing there. And then, now that everybody's here, the herald proclaimed aloud, verse 4, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. That's just a sort of a, a, a catchphrase that means everybody. You are commanded, you are all commanded, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music and here's the key to the whole thing in fact folks this is the key to a whole lot of things you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up oh and by the way if anybody gets the bright idea that they don't feel like doing this verse 6 whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace so, with every government official in the whole kingdom standing there, and with every government official listening, the decree goes out. How, however they did it, it went out to everybody, all the officials and all the common people. And remember this, in verse 2 and verse 3, why did God mention all those officials by name? Why did he do that? I think he's making a point that everybody knows the rules. Everybody. They all knew what they were supposed to do, and they all knew what would happen if they didn't. But more importantly, this is what I want you to hang on to. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces were there to bear witness to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and this is what he has commanded. When the opening ceremonies are over, you know, everybody catches a flight back home, Everybody knows the score. Everybody knows what's going on. You know it, I know it, so don't think you're going to get away with anything. I mean, these are, these are like the city councilors, the sheriff, you know, the legislators. I mean, this is everybody. He covered all the bases, so everybody knows. 
You can't say, I never got the memo. I was not aware of this. King Nebuchadnezzar wants to be known. Joseph Stalin was dictator of the Soviet Union from 1929 to 1953. He was a despicable human being. He was responsible for the deaths of 20 to 50 or maybe even 60 million people, million people, most of whom were his own people. I have a book at home about Stalin, and he was such an egomaniac. The writer of the book tells this little story. It says at a provincial meeting in the late 30s, there was an ovation when Stalin's name was mentioned. He wasn't even there, but they mentioned his name. And no one dared to be the first to sit down. So it just kept going. It says, when finally an old man who could not stand any longer took his seat, his name was noted, and he was arrested the next day. I don't think King Nebuchadnezzar is all that different. I am the king, and I want you to know it. So again, all these officials, from top to bottom, were there to bear witness to the king, the great and mighty King Nebuchadnezzar. Again, put that in your memory bank. So moving on to verse 7. Based on this threat of a fiery death for basically noncompliance, who would have thunk it? Verse 7 says, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And with that, it's kind of the end of scene one, we'll say. And so we're going to switch gears here and we look at verse 8. Therefore, meanwhile, okay, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Maliciously accused is kind of an interesting phrase. It literally meant it, it, to, to eat their pieces, dig into them, piranha, coming after you. I'm going to take you apart. Today, we would say that they, when they just talked to the Chaldeans, when talking to the king, we'd say, man, he ripped into those guys in front of the king. That, that would be our modern-day translation of maliciously accused. Verse 9, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, what do you know, king? Verse 12, there are certain Jews who you appointed over the affairs of the prince of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you believe this? These men pay no attention to you, O king. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let's just stop there for a minute because there's a little nuance that crept in there and I want you to see it. Nebuchadnezzar's command made no mention whatsoever about worshiping his gods, said worship the image, didn't mention his gods. This was a polytheistic culture. Most of them were. And in most of those cultures, the reigning power of the day, in this case Nebuchadnezzar, didn't really care what gods you worshipped. That was not a big deal. You could worship what you wanted. But he's trying to get you to worship his god as well. All right? Or not, excuse me, not his god, the image. That's all he says is the image. But what the Chaldeans said was that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego paid no attention to the king. Th those words there, you could translate it to say they have no regard for you, they ignore you. Um, 
They were saying, in essence, hey, king, these, these guys here that you appointed, man, they just totally have this disdain for you. And they're pushing his buttons, and it worked. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And so they brought these men before the king. Now, we don't know how long it took for that to happen. They may have been in the next room. They may have been down the street. I don't know. They, they could have been in another town. We don't really know. And maybe he calmed down or he just got busy if it took a long time. But in essence, um, when they got there, he was basically, he was fair to them. You can't argue that. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? He, he wants to know. There's something I think we need to remember here. I really think the king liked these guys. If you go back to chapter 1, it, it says that, that God had given, them in, have given them in favor, these three guys and Daniel. It says this in chapter 1, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Okay. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. So I, I think he's facing kind of a conundrum here, but at the same time, nobody crosses the king. And he also promoted them. You know, that's at the end of chapter 2. So you could also say, this is pretty defiant. This is not your run-of-the-mill person. I, you know, I liked you guys. And, and Daniel said, hey, promote my friends. And I did. And look what I get for it. So there's some things going on here. You know, where's the loyalty? So in verse 15, the king says, now, gentlemen, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. Thanks for coming by, guys. Good to see you. Have a good day. We're all relieved. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. If you look at the Old Testament, this was not an unusual thing for him to do. Uh, Jeremiah 29 talks about these two false prophets. Uh, they were Zedekiah and Ahab, different Zedekiah and Ahab. But they were prophesying falsely about God. And in Jeremiah 29, it says, Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah who are in Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. So he had apparently done this before. In any case, the king has made his threat, and this is where things come to a head. In reality, this is what chapter 3 is all about. He says, I'll put you in that furnace. But then he completely changes the game. And at the same time, he shows his hand with this amazing statement. I'm going to put you in the furnace if you don't worship this image I set up. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God? Who is the, who's saying this? Who is the God 
A lot of commentators have suggested that one of the reasons he put this image up was to, like, it's an empire. He's gone all over these countries. He's going to join everybody by quote-unquote religion. So that's why he wants them to worship this image, because we're all going to have this common, you know, interest or whatever. And that might be true, but it sure seems like something else is going on here. Has he, has he forgotten about a dream, you know, that he had not too long ago? Hey, King, have you read second chapter of Daniel? You know, let me get my ESV Bible and show you what it says in there. Remember that? You know, God gave you, God gave you, God gave you. God gave all these temporary things to Nebuchadnezzar. Made it very clear that this was a temporary situation. Did you forget that? I mean, what's up with that? Well, we don't really know and God doesn't tell us. But I'll tell you something else. This just makes my whole day. There's something, be hap something happening be behind the scenes here. It's written in Psalm 2. I'm just going to read two verses from Psalm 2, verse 1 and verse 4. Verse 1 says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds him in derision. If there were some case where God's had eyebrows and they went up, when Nebuchadnezzar says, And who is the God? I think, God, really? Really? If it weren't so sinful... I think that would be God's... Really? You think so, huh? How often do we do that? <laughs> How often do we think, I'm the captain of my soul. I'm in charge of me. And God says, really? In, in my lifetime, this is God's humor with me, is when I, like, I, I'll see something on the news and it's like, or that Eric Sanchez or these guys that, you know, call for help. And I used to see things on the news, especially when I was younger and brilliant, that I would see things and it was like, was, how stupid could you be to have, let that happen to you? You know, they have to call Channel 6 to get you to help. And invariably, I'm not kidding you, within time, there I am. You know, really, John, you're smart, aren't you? Good job, buddy. So I find some humor in this. Maybe you don't, but that's what I see. God uses all kinds of people for his glory. And he'll use Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to do some amazing things with Nebuchadnezzar. But you're going to have to come back next week to find out what that is. So that's your teaser. Pastor Chad will be preaching. Did you notice in the word Nebuchadnezzar, Chad is in there? I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You can take that up with him. <laughs> I mentioned that. Him goes, yeah, I know. So... Anyway, moving on, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. This is just awesome. They answered the king, and they said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, this is a no-brainer, king. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Amen? That is faith. They're facing death by fire. And they're like, this is a no-brainer. What do you want me to say, king? There's nothing I can think of except this. But it's the next statement that really completes the picture. And it's a picture we all need to see and we all need to understand. Because in, eight, in verse 18 they say, but if not... You need to know this, king. We will not serve your gods, and we will not worship this image that you have set up. We're not going to do it. 
Have you ever had someone make you an offer to do something or, and, and you didn't think twice about the answer because the answer was no? As I read this, I, I, I have a best friend named Paul. He's kind of the classic guy best friend. I was the best man in his wedding. He was best man in our wedding. We've been best friends forever, way, way back. Somewhere in my middle 20s, um, I'm just going to say an offer was made to me that if you're a young, single guy, it was an extremely attractive offer. And I'm going to leave it vague on purpose. Very, very attractive offer for a young, single guy. Oh, but there's one catch. For you to accept this offer, you have to betray and basically destroy your best friend. You'll, you'll basically destroy his life if you take this offer. And I remember standing there listening to this and thinking, are you crazy? No. And, and to this day, I remember this. Like, are, are you nuts? No. I'm not going to do that. Not in a million years was I. He's my best friend. No. No way. And so when this is said to these guys, hey, fall down. No. No. It's, it's not hard, King. Not much mystery here. I, I told a friend of mine that about my friend Paul. The hard part of it is, for me, he's, he's my best friend. I would never betray him, ever. But every day of my life, I betray my Savior. That's not good. And he forgives me for it. Man, that's beyond anything in my book. That's who God is. I told you I like to digress. So moving on, let's get back to verse 19 here. Okay, they said no in no uncertain terms. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven more times than it was usually heated. That just means get it as hot as you can get it. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and because the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. So the deed has been done, and that should have been the end of these three rebels, right? But it wasn't. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered, and they said, It's true, king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Obviously, this was a miracle. A miracle of God, walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. Was it a miracle? Absolutely. Was it a big, a big deal in the history of history? It was. Isaiah chapter 43 says this. But now, says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And this is a direct reference to what just happened. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. As far as the fourth person in the fire, some people think it's what's called a Christophany, which is basically, I'm just going to call this a physical appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, we'll come back to that, but let's keep moving. I know you think that is important. Without a doubt, that's important. But it's not as important as you think. Uh, just stay with me on that one, okay? Um, let's just keep moving. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads wasn't singed, their cloaks weren't harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Remember these guys from verses 2 and 3? How could you forget them? All right. Remember why I said I thought they were mentioned so often? To bear witness to the king and to his command. Now look back at the last part of verse 15 in your Bibles there. Remember this. Who is the God? Who is the God? Remember Psalm 2 verse 4? That God laughs. Look what's happening here. Who were the fire inspectors when these guys came out of the fire? The very guys who were supposed to bear witness to the king and his mighty authority. Who were they bearing witness to? God. You're never going to get one over on God. So, hey, I want all you guys here because I'm going to show everybody that I'm in control. Guess what, king? You're wrong. All the schemes and plans of man fall short. God is sovereign, and he is mighty, and he is our God. Moving on then. Verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Okay. Something you need to see here. I, I ask that you pray that if anyone is not saved that they would come to faith in, in Christ today. I, I, I tend to witness to a, a lot of people, and, and you do hear the same stories over and over, and, and you deal with basically the same types of people, we'll say. The same, there's a number of stories, you know, maybe three or four, but you're, they're going to pick one of them. My wife and I are involved right now in a situation where we have a friend whose daughter... Um, she's like 50 years old or something. She, she is a recovering alcoholic. And um, she's, she's doing well as far as that goes. But she, she had two kids. She was married. She had two kids. And um, so now 
she can't see the kids without supervision. And her husband is filing for divorce and wants nothing to do with her. And he has basically set, it, set out to destroy her. And I think his point, he's not a Christian man. You can just see by his actions that, okay, you destroyed me and my family. I will do everything in my power to hurt you. And so this lady who, who kind of refuses to meet with us, but she'll text us until the cows come home. And, and she keeps texting and, you know, all these terrible things that her soon-to-be ex-husband is doing to her. And she wants verses. And, you know, give me some verses for forgiveness and, and all these different things. And, and she texted the other day, and, and he keeps up in the ante. He, and he's pretty mean to her. I mean, the things he does. He, it's almost like he's scheming to hurt her. But she said in a text... I, I responded to her text, and she's like, I need verses. And I said, I don't think you need verses. I think you need to see who Jesus Christ is. And you need to see the fact that, you know, he was crucified by these men, and he, he prayed, Father, forgive them. You know, get the mind of Jesus. Well, she texted back finally, and she said, I'm not picking on her. I'm just, this is not that unusual. She said, I took the Bible that you and Carolyn gave me and I set it down in front of me and I knelt in front of it and I prayed for God to give me wisdom or give me power, you know, to forgive. And she said, I felt something immediately. Here's the issue with that because you'll hear about people who have, a, who have these experiences. Um, you know, they were at a camp when they were a teenager and they had this moment and I grew up Catholic. We didn't have those camps. Um, but you go to the campfire or whatever it is, and you sign a card or whatever, and you make this profession of faith. And they're like, you're saved now. You, once you're saved, you're always saved because you had this experience. But nothing in your life changes. That's a problem. People, I, a lot of churches have altar calls, and, and people will go forward. I got a buddy who's kind of a churchgoer, kind of, and he said one morning his wife said, I want to be baptized, and went forward and said, baptize me. She doesn't walk with the Lord. The point is this. Nebuchadnezzar has this experience, okay, where he sees this happening. And in chapter 2, after the dream, he got down on his knees in front of Daniel. But he always referred to it as Daniel's God. And now he's referring it to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. Not his God. I don't know what you've been through in your life. I don't know if you've had one of these moments where someone said, now you're saved. But ask yourself a question. If a, a fruit tree doesn't bear fruit, do you cut it down? Why isn't it bearing fruit? What does the pattern of your life look like? Seriously. Be honest with yourself. Do you, do you hunger for God's word? Do you, do you, it, we're early today, but it, or do you watch the clock? When are we going to get out of here? Why? Kyle Pugh and I were just discussing this this morning. Why don't we embrace God who saved us? Why don't we want to live for him? We should. We should all the time. We are fleshly creatures. Absolutely. But King Nebuchadnezzar had these experiences. And he wasn't saved. Have you had an experience? Great. What came of it? What's different in your life? It matters a lot. Um, verse 29, I'm just going to read it again. 
Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against Shadrach, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is, who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of, of Babylon, Babylon. Okay. God was obviously on display in chapter 3. I hope you see that. I hope you have seen that. God is in control of this whole thing, and, and Nebuchadnezzar never had anything on him. As far as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are examples to us. The primary thing I was thinking about as far as the fiery furnace is that for us, we, that is not our issue. You know, bow down and worship this image or I'm going to throw in the fiery furnace. No. What more often happens in America to us is bow down and worship this image and I'll give you everything you ever wanted. I mean, you've got bow down and worship worship the image or I'll give you death more like in America and I'll give you life bow down and worship this image or you'll lose your job bow down and worship this image and I'll give you a job remember what Satan said to Jesus bow down to me and I'll give you everything we get that same lie we don't face the fiery furnace we face we, we, have, we have golden images everywhere, right? So what do, you, what do you deal with? What is your issue? Are you afraid to show people that you're a Christian? Are you afraid to let people know that Jesus is your Lord? Again, do you witness the people? You know what you'll hear from people if you do? They'll say church. Well, I, church, I don't like the church. Well, the church, this, the church, that. Tell them about Jesus. Well, well okay, I, I do that all the time. Well, what about Jesus, though? What about Jesus? But are we ashamed of Jesus Christ? We can't be. He saved us from our sins. Our fiery furnace, again, is not that hot, is it? It's more like a pillow, right? Come over here. See how wonderful this is. So how do you deal with that? Uh, you know, men are basically invincible, right? Right, men? I think for the most part, if you went to, I'll, we'll just say people, I'll be fair, um, and said, renounce God or you're going to be in front of a firing squad. Now, I don't know, because no one said that to me, but it wouldn't be that hard for me to say like these guys, no, are you nuts? But very subtle things. Have you seen this show? Oh, man, you've seen what's on HBO? Hey, have you done this? Come here, look at this. That's a different story. That's, that's our culture. But it's still a fiery furnace. It's going to kill you. Right? Be aware of those things in your life. I think the main thing I want you to think about as you come out of this, as far as the three guys here, is that, again, we don't necessarily face a fiery furnace. We face temptations that coddle us, that make us feel good. But it's just as deadly. What, what is the image? For some people, um, it, to be quite honest, it's the mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of the wall, or of them all? Ken just pointed to himself over there. It kind of scares me a little bit, but, but it's the truth. You know, 
You are the oh, you don't have to answer. I already know the you know, I know the answer. I am the fairest of them all. And I act like that. Who is the Lord of my life? Moi. Right? That's another thing we battle. That's another thing that we have to watch out for. Again, God is on display in chapter three here, but the faith that these guys showed was what we can take for ourselves. You know the amazing thing about this is that they didn't have what we have. They had the Old Testament, the books of Moses, really, and that's all they had, but they were faithful to God. Look back at those verses and see that it, their, the reason for being faithful was not because we're going to get out of this. They were faithful to God because he was God. That's the beautiful thing about it. And, and again, they didn't have what we have. Turn to, to Hebrews 11, and let's look at something, and then we're going to close. If you're not familiar with the Bible or Christianity, there's a lot of people mentioned in this chapter, and we tend to call it the Hall of Faith instead of the Hall of Fame. Go to verse 29. I'm just going to read these things here. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, here's our guys, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Well, what does that mean? And we'll look at verse 39. They were all commended because of their faith. Faith is a gift. God gave them this faith, but they exercised their faith and they were commended. But God had made promises and they never saw those promises fulfilled. And yet they believed. We have seen this. What they're talking about is Jesus. When he says in verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, we look back at the cross. They didn't know what the cross was. I mean, they, they desired the prophets who were like, what is this? Where are we going with this, you know? So when it says, apart from us, they should not be made perfect, he means we had to get, you know, we're, we're the saved ones. 
We, they had to wait for us, in essence. We live in the age of the gospel. Um, they just didn't know. First Peter, you don't need to refer, turn to First Peter, but it says, concerning this salvation, our salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you to those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. And we have the gospel. So... Keep all these things in mind, all right? We are so blessed. We are so blessed. We have everything God could ever give us. I know. I'm almost done. <laughs> Please know that God died on a cross for us, that he sent Jesus Christ for you and me to save us from our sins. So when you face this test that says... Oh, man, bow down to this. Follow me. Bow down here. Did God really say? God, do you think God expects you to do that? Yes. And you can know it because he died on a cross and saved you from your sins forever. Because that's who he is. Let's pray we'll be finished. Father, thank you for... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their witness, these real men who were faithful to you for our example. But thank you for Jesus. I know you, you show up in the midst of the fiery furnace. We try to avoid the furnace, Father. You know that. Help us to see that when you're on display, it's, it's in the furnace. And that we need to walk through the furnace, the path that you've laid out for each one of us. Jesus very easily could have said no. No, he could have listened to Satan. And when he prayed to you in the garden, he said, take this cup from me. He could very easily have not said, not will, not my will, but yours. And left us all lost forever but he didn't I thank you for the example of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego but God I thank you for Jesus Christ and what he did we are weak sinful creatures help us God my prayer is that we would have a heart everyone here, everyone who hears my voice would have a heart to honor you before anything else in their lives, anything in their lives, family, friends jobs, money, all the stuff that we would first and foremost want to honor you and give you glory. I pray, God, that you would show us all, because we're all different people, and we all have different buttons that you can push to show us how awesome you are and that we can trust you. Finally, Father, if anyone doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, would you save them today and add them to your kingdom and bring them into your home? our brother, our sister, whoever that would be. That is my prayer. God, send us on our way with hearts that want to glorify you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.